0: A few weeks ago a friend of mine passed away and reflecting on his life caused me to think about so many different things because this particular friend was an amazing man. I met him nearly 17 years ago. It was on the first day of arriving in Atlanta that I realized that he would be a friend. I'll never forget the first meeting I ever had with him because in the first meeting he told me he was the chief financial officer for the First Baptist Church of Atlanta and he told me different things that we were facing, issues we were encountering, challenges that we needed to address. And I'll never forget saying to him that if you will stay faithful, you will watch the hand of God in an amazing way. He looked at me and he said, I'll stay faithful. And I can remember the different experiences. I'll never forget a particular few weeks after, after my arrival in Atlanta. He came to my office and said, said, we have a real problem I said, what's the problem? He said, we need $100,000 this week. I said, that's not a problem. That's an opportunity. He looked at me and said, what do you mean an opportunity? I said, it's an opportunity to see God be faithful. This friend of mine had always operated on the confines of a balance sheet in the terms of debits and credits, assets and liabilities. And all of a sudden, faith arrived. And it challenged him because he had to process life from a different angle. I said to him, We will believe that God will provide exactly what we need whenever we need it. Guess what came in the mail on Wednesday that week? A check for $100,000 from a lady we had never met, never seen, and now abides in heaven. For my friend, 17 years ago, it shaped his journey of faith. So much so that when One Heart was birthed eight years ago, he began to support what we were doing. And from the mission enterprise, continued to invest in that. Even as he was battling cancer, he continued to be faithful. Well, you can imagine what God did on that day was he gave me the privilege of making a choice of having a fabulous friend. And I want you today to think about the relationships God's given you. Because today we come to the culmination of what it means to live on point. Living with precision and understanding the purpose that God has for your life as it relates to how you live it out. It's interesting because today we find ourselves at the place where Paul summarizes what he feels about the relationships that have been entrusted to him. And those relationships are gifts that he sees. Needless to say, some of his gifts became burdens, became challenges. And so today we find ourselves in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And as you turn there, you'll find yourself in the sixth verse of this particular chapter. And and as you're turning, I want us to recognize that it's here, it is here that he begins to reflect relationally on those who have impacted his life. In fact, when you look at this text, you'll notice what he says. He describes what it is he has felt and where he is in life and what it is he remembers about those who have been connected to him. Sad to say Sad to say, not all the relationships that Paul had were good relationships because some chose to walk away. And what I want you to see today is we look, we look at a very distinctive final message on this series of Living on Point. And it has to do with choosing your friends wisely because the reality is, watch this carefully, you'll never go beyond the level of your friendships. So if you have friends who don't stand beside you, you have a problem. If you have friends who are not there when you need them, you have a problem. And what I want you to see today is life is too short not to have vibrant, dynamic, powerful relationships with whoever it is that God brings into your life. And my encouragement today is a simple challenge. And it's a challenge that I want you to take out of this building. It is my personal challenge to everyone in this room that they find a friend in this church that they don't already have that they would choose wisely a friend that's beyond their circle into the bigger circle of who we are as a church. Because the friendship and relationships that we have are vital to us being able to accomplish what needs to happen. Now, you may be sitting there saying, you know, you don't realize I don't need anybody. I don't need any friends. Yes, you do. Paul needed them. Look at how he wrote his word. Beginning in verse 6. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering... And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And look at verse 9 and verse 21, because he makes the same statement, make every, effort, make every effort to come to me soon. Verse 21, make every effort to come before winter. Now, here's what he does he makes it clear that those who have been most significant relationally, he wanted to see one more time because his departure was at hand. Now, when you read this, you realize that then he goes into verse 10, and notice what he says here. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Now, I want you to kind of think about this for a moment because here's what you see, and I want you to miss this, because oftentimes, We get in our mind, we can make it without relationships. And the truth is, we make or break our lives connected to those who come into our hearts and life, who inspire us, who bless us, who motivate us, who challenge us. And so today, I'm making your circle get a little bigger. I'm challenging you to think about as it it relates to living on point, what would it be like if every man in this room had another man to be a friend? What would it be like if every lady in this room had another lady that could be a friend to them and they could connect and encourage and bless them? And I promise you this, for some of you, you've already turned the switch off. You've already said, you know what, I've lived long enough, I don't need anybody. Yes, you do. And what you need to do is see what Paul does here because you're going to discover something, that every relationship in life has the power to impact us in amazing ways. I think about this room, it's filled with people who if everybody just had one more friend, life would even be richer and more meaningful and have more purpose. That friend you could call up in the evening and say, hey, guess what? I want to encourage you, that person who could say to you, hey, guess what? Your life has purpose and meaning. And as we think about that, I want you to think about what happened with Paul. But I want to take a moment. I want to go back and I want to reflect on on David. And this week in my Bible reading, I encountered this verse, and it staggered me by way of thought. So if you're with me, say amen. Amen. All right, turn to Psalm 41 just for a moment. Now, I want you to stay with me in, in continuity here because I don't want you to lose sight of what I'm trying to get across to you because I've already laid out a personal challenge. How many friends did I say you need to find beyond what you already know in this building? One, right? Let me ask you, this: how many of you can count to one? Amen. See, we're making progress. So we all can count to one. We can all find somebody to relate to. And let me ask you this. Does age define relationships? Absolutely not. If you're breathing, do you have an opportunity to be a friend to somebody else? If you're sick, can you help somebody who's healthy? Absolutely. If you're not happy, can you learn how to be happy? Yeah, because a friend might come your way and bless you and encourage you. All right, so Psalm 41. Look at it with me if you would. You you probably have never looked at this verse in light of what I'm going to show you today, but I want you to think about it. Verse 9, Psalm 41. Listen to what David says. Even my closest friend, my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Now, when you read that, you realize here's what happens. David thought he had a friend, but he wasn't a friend. And you ask yourself the question, who was this guy? I mean, can you imagine if your name is Demas or Alexander? You really don't want your name in the Bible, do you? Because your name's not, not a good story. Well, let's look at, let's, let's find out who this friend was. Turn, if you would, back in your Bible to 2 Samuel. Hang a left again. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 16. This friend, this friend who, who was a counselor and blessing, ended up being one of the great burdens. In fact, by the way, one of the few people that you find in the Bible who committed suicide. That's how far that relationship went from where it started. All right? 2 Samuel 16, if you're there, say amen. Look at verse 15. Then Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, entered Jerusalem, and Ahithophel with him. Ahithophel was David's counselor and friend, But he was also the one that he writes about in Psalm 41, verse 9. And what happened, look on with me. Now, it came about when Hushai, the archite, and David's friend came to Absalom. And Hushai said to Absalom, long live the king, long live the king. Absalom said to Hushai, is this this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? Which, by the way, it's interesting what you see here, because here's the splitting of the sheet. Here's Hushai who says, I'm with David. And Ahithophel who says, I'm going to go with Absalom, which tells you something. Who made the bad choice? Ahithophel made the bad choice, didn't he? He made a choice. He chose to hang with somebody who looked like they were about to get power. And I want you to remember this about friendship. Never forget it. In friendships, you always get three distinctive things. You get love, you get loyalty, and you get liberty. In other words, somebody loves you enough to be with you. You Somebody's loyal enough to stay beside you. But you also have someone who gives you freedom to express what it is you're thinking versus somebody who ends up not being your friend and only an acquaintance because what happens is the betrayer, the betrayer brings a total different side to your life because that betrayer ends up costing you something. Look on, though, if you're with me. With me. Let's look at chapter 17. I don't, I'm not going to read all this story because I, I want you to just get the point. And here's the bottom line. Here is a story of a guy who had an opportunity to have great influence, great influence, but he chose to not get over something. What did he choose not to get over? Well, guess who was his granddaughter, Bathsheba. And Ahithophel had against David a feeling that he never got past. And what I want you to see is this. If you're truly a friend of somebody, you will forgive them when they wrong you. You will love them when they don't know how to be loved. And you will care for them when they seem careless. And what happens here is Ahithophel has this feeling. He can't get past it. Look at chapter 17. Furthermore, Ahithophel said to Absalom, please let me choose 12,000 men that I may arise and pursue David tonight. Now, have you ever thought about, why did he need 12,000 men to go after one? 12,000. Look on. Verse 2. I will come upon him while he is weary and exhausted and terrify him so that all the people who are with him will flee. Then I'll strike down the king alone. Look at verse 7. Notice what happened. So Hushai said to Absalom, this time the advice that Ahithophel has given is not good. They're all in the room. They're all listening to the same thing. I want to ask you a question. You ever had bad advice from somebody? You ever had somebody say to you, buy that car and it was a lemon? I bought a Ford Pinto that way. You ever ridden in a Ford Pinto? It's like riding in a go-kart without the motor running. It's a sad story. (laughs) And I can remember... The advice I got: This car will guarantee you'll never drive fast. I said, "Absolutely, that's true." I confirmed that the first day. <laughs> it barely ran. In fact, I sold it later on to a lady. I put I, I ad, here's the ad I ran, and I was only about 18 years old, 17 or 18 years at the time when I ran this ad. Uh, beautiful blue Pinto, guaranteed not to run, guaranteed to be a lemon. First buyer can get it, and a lady bought it. Now, did she get follow good advice? No, she didn't read the ad right because I said it was a lemon. And what I want you to see is this. Sometimes people give you bad advice. For example, I'll never forget this. I had a person say to me just a few years ago, if you'll invest with me, I'll guarantee you 17%. 17%? Well, when I heard that, I thought, wow, I'm never going to invest with you. Because if, you're, if your bank's giving you 0.012%, ain't nobody else I can get to you, 17%. And the sad part of that story is you lose everything when you listen to bad advice. So here, all of a sudden, it culminates with him saying, you know what, this advice does not work. Verse 14. Now follow me because I want you to miss it. We're going to come back to Second Timothy. Then Absalom and all the men of Israel said, the counsel of Hushai the Archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. For the Lord had or- ordained to thwart the good counsel of Ahithophel so that the Lord might bring calamity on Absalom. Now here's what I want you to see. Don't spend your life trying to get back at somebody who caused you pain, heartache, difficulty. You leave it in the Lord's hands because here's what the Bible Bible says: In his due time, he does all things well. He thwarts the adversary and he thwarts the obstacles. He thwarts the issues that come at us. And I have known people who lived their lives bitter because they were trying to get back at somebody. That man who walked away, bitter at him forever. That lady who walked away, listen carefully. Don't spend an hour or a moment reflecting on that. Instead, zero in and choose a friend who can wisely guide you beyond it. Let's look on because I want you to see the end of the story. Verse 23. Verse 23. This is the end of the story of a man who betrayed his best friend. Now, when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his donkey, arose, went to his home, to his city, and sat, sat in his house in order and strangled himself. Thus he was. Thus he died and was buried in the grave of his father. Now here's what I want you to see, because sometimes we don't understand. This whole story fits together into one redemptive message for us, and that is that the best friend you could ever have in life is Jesus, because he will never betray you, he will never let you down, he will always count you wisely. But with Jesus being your best friend, he would also speak to all of our hearts to have a relationship. Those that we encounter who would make a difference in our lives. So today I want you to think about. My friend passed away a few weeks ago, and it caused me to think about this. How will you be remembered? When you think about your own journey of faith, how will you be remembered at the end of your story? In other words, when you think about your own life, turn back to 2 Timothy, because I want us to see this. Because when you begin to think about this thought, how will people remember you? Will they remember your actions? Will they remember your heart? Will they remember your spirit? Will they remember what you live for? The reality is they will. They will. They will. There's something powerful about how you choose to live because it will be remembered. The significance of it will live on and on and on and on. And so today I want you to think about how you live your life. Next month, I'm taking the only grandchild I have to Disney World by myself. And we're going, and I'm going for one primary reason. When I am gone, I want Nora to always remember the words that I share, the heart of who I am, what I live for, because it continues to speak, continues to carry forward. And so think about your own story. How do you be remembered. But then ponder just for a moment, because you're going to see this today as we look at this text. How do you handle your opponents? In other words, those who come at you who are challenges for you, those people who end up becoming adversarial. For example, you have anybody in your life you haven't forgiven? Somebody that you got mad at, that got you? you know what, I'm never going to forgive that person. And what happened? You entered a prison you can't get out of because there's no key forgiveness is the key that unlocks your future and you have to be willing to forgive you have to be willing to operate in a spirit of forgiveness and so here we find that David really shares two distinctive thoughts here the first one you find in the first few verses that we read there in verse six notice what he said for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure has come but then he gets to verse 14 Having already identified Demas, he makes this statement, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. And what you see here is this. When you think about living on point, being effective in life, being who God called you to be, you zero in thought-wise with this very clear thought, that if someone causes you pain and anxiety and difficulty and heartache, you leave them in the hands of the Lord because the Lord will deal with them in a much more effective way than if you choose to operate and impact them in your own terms. So here we find ourselves in this text, and and it's interesting because the culmination of this particular letter, this is the end story of the legacy of a man who was blinded on the Damascus road, who was rejected and had not Barnabas interjected himself into it as a true friend, he would have never had the privilege of probably impacting the way he did. But Barnabas stepped in at the right time, the son of encouragement the Bible calls him. He stepped in, and what you see is this, Everybody needs somebody to encourage them along the way in a journey of faith. And that's why we as a church family need to expand our impact personally, need to reach into other lives, need to make, make sure people know that they are, are loved and cared for. And when I think about that, I think about how he summarizes his final thoughts. Imagine you, you get a letter from someone and it's their last letter. It's the last time they'll pen words. It's the last time they'll express thoughts. It's the last time you'll feel the emotion of what it is that they're conveying. And so what he does is he does four distinctive things here. First of all, he gives us a very clear understanding about how life is supposed to work. And it's this, very first point is this, you need to fight the battle. Do not let anything subdue you from his purpose in your life. you got to fight through it. You ever had something come at you that caused you to go, you know, I'm not sure I can get through this. I'm not sure I can make it through this particular part of my journey. What you discover very quickly is you got to fight through it. you got to fight through what it is that you're encountering. And in life, oftentimes, there are many things that come at us. I want us to see how he addresses that because he does it in very sequential form. The first thing he identifies is he's ready to depart. He's ready to go. He's ready to walk out of this life into what it is that God has in store for him. He's ready to depart and end up experiencing what God intended. And all of us should be ready at any time for him to call us home. And while we're still living, we should be ready to depart. And that's what he's trying to say here. But not only does he say he's ready to depart, but look on though. Because he says in verse 7, I have finished, I mean, I fought the good fight, I have finished the course. I finished the course. And and when you read that, you understand he says something. The word course there has to do with a race. A race that we run. And here's what I want you to see. In life, we all have assignments. We all have assignments. And what Paul says here is, I finished my assignment. And here's my encouragement to you. You and I need to look at our lives and say, I need to finish the assignment God's given me. I need to take care of what it is He called me to do, how it is he's called me to live, what it is he's called me to impact, and make a difference with that. Because when you finish the assignment, something happens inside of you. You become who he intended for you to be. Imagine for a moment, you're sitting at church today and you realize something. You have homework you haven't done yet. You have homework that is clear assignments for you. Perhaps you would intercede in a particular way. Perhaps you would share your faith in a particular way. Perhaps you just take the time to read inside of his word. Invest yourself in what it is that God's word would say. This week as I was reading in Psalm 41 when I came to verse 9, I got to thinking about how many times in life we do experience betrayal. In fact, when I began to reflect on that, I began to think that those who are not true friends will always bring you betrayal, they'll always bring you burdens, and they'll always blindside you when you least expect it. That's what happened to David. And certainly for Paul, that's what happened to Paul. Now think about this for a minute. Verse 10 verse ten says something. Because in verse 10, it says Demas has gone away and left to the Thessalonica. I want to show you in a moment the significance of time and how time validates everything in life. Look on no. But not only does he say, I finished my assignment, but you'll notice he says in verse 7, the latter part, I have kept the faith. Don't you love people who live it to the very end? They live out their faith. They don't walk away from it. They hang on to it. They trust the Lord no matter what. I'll never forget going to a funeral service for one of our members' fathers just a few months ago. And it's interesting because the only description they could make of him that really was, that, that caught my heart so clearly was this. He, though afflicted by cancer and difficulty and heartache, never missed his assignment, stayed with his faith, kept the faith, and lived out it in an amazing way in fact he made it clear at his homegoing service there was no need for tears because he had finished the course he had fought the good fight and he'd finished his assignment he'd kept the faith so what you and i need to see today is this that god has something for us but then he says one more thing he says we got to anticipate the crown and you'll notice in in this verse verse eight he says that this crown is, is reserved for those who loved his appearing who lived loved and experienced who he is he said, this crown's reserved for them, and I anticipate it. I don't know how many things you anticipate in life, but I anticipate particular things very clearly. For example, I anticipate that God would use us as a church family to make a dramatic impact in our city and our world. Every Sunday when I drive up to church, I always, and every weekday when I drive up to church, I'm always praying the same thing. Lord, let somebody come in who doesn't know you. Let someone walk in who's looking for an answer. Let someone hear your spirit speak to them. Let someone know that God loves them. Let someone be aware that this church is a place, no matter where they're coming from, that they can be welcomed and feel the love of God and they can experience the love of God. And that prayer exudes out of me. This morning as I was waking up, my first prayer to God was, oh God, let this be a day. Where perhaps there's a married man and woman sitting in this building who realizes they need a friend like this pastor to encourage their hearts and they become a part of this family. I pray that, that I, as I before I get out of my bed, Lord, let this message sink deep into people's hearts and lives. Because listen carefully. If you don't choose your friends wisely, then how do you expect to live wisely? You can't. Your friends are vital to you. Your relationships are vital. And I think about the power and significance of relationships that God gives us, those who encourage our heart, who bless us. But he didn't just say fight the fight. He didn't just say stay in the battle. But look at verse 9, because in verse 9, he begins to reflect on what it means to leave a true legacy. And let's look at it just for a moment, because I want you to see some distinctive parts. Verse 10, for Demas, having loved the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. But Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me, Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. Now stop there just for a second and realize something. This Mark he's talking about here is John Mark. And didn't, didn't Paul have a conflict with his friend John Mark and Barnabas? He did, didn't he? He had a conflict that created all kinds of tension at the moment. And here's what I want you to see. When somebody's truly true to your friend, they will be loyal. They will love you. They'll give you the freedom to express what you feel. And then you're able to reconnect with them. I mean, notice how he talks about him. Bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. I mean, wouldn't you like that to be the end story of who you are? That somebody said, bring him with you. I had the privilege every year of going home and and, uh, impacting my mom. My mom's in her 86th year of life, and she's an amazing lady and sweet-spirited lady. But about 10 years ago, I started bringing Eddie Conkle with me to my mom. And I wanted... I wanted not just that my mom would know a friend of mine, but also that she would see the heart of another servant. It's so interesting now when I call her, she, she first questioned it, how's Eddie? I said, Mom, Mom, this ain't Eddie. This is Gerald. And she's, well, well how's Eddie doing? I said, Eddie's fine. Quit asking about Eddie. Text him yourself. And my mom learned how to text when she was 83. So on the phone, she'll text a message to, to uh, Eddie or me. And, and it's interesting because once you discover very quickly is this. Some people are there to serve. And let me tell you what John Mark must have conveyed to Paul. I'll do whatever it takes. And I'm going to tell you what we need in our family as a church family. We need men and women who say, I'll do whatever it takes. When it comes to Bible school, this Bible school this year is vital to our family. It comes up in June, out in the lobby area, the display area, where it talks about what's happening. And you can register your children or your grandchildren or your neighbors. Listen carefully. We want Jesus to rain down on this place at, at Vacation Bible School time in June of this year so that this place is full of children running around, learning about God, understanding how much he loves them, making this an amazing experience. And the way we do that is we understand that our call is to serve. Our gift is to impact. And so I want to say to you categorically, doesn't matter whether you have children or don't have children. doesn't matter whether your kids are grown or what it doesn't matter. None of that matters. What matters is you begin to intercede for Bible school. You begin to think about who you could invite. You begin to think about what kind of impact you could make. You think about that particular week here you could help in some way. And what I want you to see is this. We as a church family have to line up, line up behind whatever effort it is that causes us to serve, causes us to impact in an amazing and powerful way. So today, I want you to think about that. We have lots of young adults in our family, and, and they have children. They bring them. Would it not be wise for we, those of us who have our children already grown to also invest our lives in those children's lives, be it Sunday morning during Sunday school, be it Sunday during, or during, during the week during Bible school? My challenge to you is this, and I want you to listen to me clearly. We have been given a great opportunity. God's put something before us. Nothing should subdue us. Everything should inspire us. We should look at it and say, you know what, I'm going to see that happen because I'm trusting God. I'm praying this greatest Bible school that's ever happened on these grounds. When I drive up and I see children smiling and I see the hearts of children, I immediately say, you know what? We need to do something very amazing. But what Paul says is, John Mark, bring him with you. I don't know how many friends you'd call to say, hey, I want you to be with me today. But those kind of friends have such significance and meaning and power. One of my friends, her and her husband have a 50th wedding anniversary today. 50th, I've known them one half of their their 50 years. One half. And I sent him a text. And I sent the text this morning before I left. Some people spend their whole life trying to figure out why they were born. You understood very early why you were born. You were born to be a blessing to others. And for me and Cindy, you have blessed our lives with your faithfulness, your loyalty, your love, and your commitment. And at the most crucial moment in the death of my mother-in-law, at a moment when I was grieving, trying to understand Life and death and why This same lady walked up behind me and whispered these words, "The secret things belong to the Lord, but some things He's chosen to reveal to us." Deuteronomy 29:29, 29, 29, and walked on. I walked into that funeral service at peace because I didn't have to know why. I just needed to know how, and that was that God would be glorified. So my encouragement today is this. Think about it for a moment. Here he is and. He's identifying all these people. Look on, verse 12. But Tychus I've sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak, which I left at Troas, with Carpus, and the books, especially the parchment. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. And what you discover here is, and you see it so clearly, there are two distinctive kind of people he talked about. Faithful men, those who, who absolutely carry it forward, and the unfaithful acquaintances that come our way. And it's interesting what he says here, though. Be on guard. Be on guard. In fact, look how he says it. Verse 15 again. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. It's interesting what you encounter because what you see here is he makes it very clear that if someone can't line up, they need to get out of the way by way of teaching and understanding and biblical understanding of what it is God has for them. And what you see today is this. When you think about your own journey of faith and the friends you choose, the first thing you know is you fight the battle. If you have a friend going through trouble, don't walk away from them. Don't walk away from their experience. Be a blessing to them. But not only that, you make sure that you engage your life in such a way that people see you leaving a legacy. Because you will be remembered. You'll either be remembered as a faithful friend or, watch this, as a distant acquaintance. Faithful friend, distant acquaintance. And what you want to discover is God wants you to be a faithful friend to whoever you encounter. Look on though. Verse 16, I want you to see how his life unfolds. At my first offense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. What about grace and mercy there? But the Lord, verse 17, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Now, when you read this, he brings it back to an understanding of something that's even more vital than our relationships, and that is to remember who stands with you. I want you to see this because when you see it, he makes it clear. The Lord, and he says that at my first offense, no one supported me. Everyone deserted me. Don't count that against him because the Lord stood with me. And what he says here is this. If Jesus is with you, it doesn't matter what you come up against. He'll watch over you. He'll guide you. He'll bless you. He'll speak to your heart. And what I want you to see as you think about your own journey of faith, remember who it is that stands with you. Jesus stands with you. He's always with you. He's always watching over you. Now think about this particular text about how many people God brings into our lives who are faithful, connection points for our lives, faithful in guiding us and blessing us. And what happens here is he makes it clear that he's doing it for one reason. Look at verse 18 again. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. And what he makes very clear here, there's a source of delivery that takes us through anything we encounter in life, but there's also a purpose to glorify God. There's that God of all glory that we live for. Because the truth is, if you'll think about it for a moment, those who impact our lives, they impact us because they have a desire to be obedient to God. They have a desire to accomplish His purpose. I think about For me personally and for our staff and our ministry team and our volunteers, those who who interject themselves in the lives of children, those who impact. And for example, there's some rooms that we have every Sunday morning where 12 or 13 or 14 little two-year-olds are in the room. We need more who are served, more who will commit, more who stand beside those little lives and say to them, your heart matters. Your heart makes a difference because we want to love you as a little one. You see, what I'm saying to you today is there's a clarion call coming out of your pastor's heart, and that is that we be friends to those who need to be friends, and we start with the least of these, and interject ourselves by way of friendship into their life. Be it Bible school, be it Sunday morning, be it whatever opportunity God's put before us. Let's let's saddle up our horses and ride into the opportunity God has for us. Let's look at our opportunity and say, you know what, Lord, I want to do whatever it is you call me to do. I'll take it another step further. For many of you, The greatest thing you could do at this point in your journey beyond serving and helping would be to get involved in a Sunday morning Bible class and and experience what happens on Sunday morning by way of fellowship, by way of relationship, by way of encouragement, by way of seeing that there are men and women who teach God's word, who bless your life, who encourage you in your journey of faith. Every Sunday morning at 915, people gather together in this place. They study God's word. They they take the Bible and look at it from a practical relational perspective that allows you to make application and gives you an intimate encounter with others. I want to encourage you to think about as this year unfolds, think about engaging yourself in a Bible class. You know what? I want to be involved with others. I want to be able to relate to that in a smaller setting to those who care about me because that's what friendships are born out of. They're born out of intimate encounters in which we interject ourselves into other people's lives. And then you find Paul coming to this final point of juncture as we wrap this message together. And I hope that you'll go out of here asking yourself the question, am I going to be an a hit the fail to somebody or am I going to be a true friend? Am I going to be like Hushai who stayed loyal to David or am I going to be someone who walks away? And what happens here is he brings it to the final aspect of his life because he makes it clear, beginning in, beginning in verse 19, identifies the number of people. But here's what he makes clear. The time is now. Not tomorrow, not the next day, not the next hour. The time is now. And what I want you to see today is this. When it comes to relationships, don't wait till tomorrow. Start today. When it comes to impacting others, do not hold up with your opportunity. The time is now. Make this moment count the most. Interject yourself into impacting others in the most powerful way. Now, don't wait to another moment. Instead, you'll begin to see what it is that God has for you. Because what he does in verse 19, he begins to identify the other people who have been faithful to him. And what he really does here is he has some final words to faithful friends. Those final words he wants to be able to say, I love you, I care about you, I believe in you. And he, and he identifies every one of these people like Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Nesiphorus and Erastus at Corinth and Trophimus uh, who's sick at Miletus. And every effort to come to, before winter, make this effort. What is he trying to say? He's saying that the time is now, and God's given me faithful friends. And let me just say to you categorically, the thing that has blessed me the most, that blessed me the most in the last nine months, is that we as a family merged together, men and women, boys and girls from a family that was called the First Baptist Church of Norcross with a family that was birthed as One Heart eight years ago. We brought together a commonality of purpose a centrality of focus, a passion for hearts and lives. And when I read this text and I read about those who have been a part of our journey of faith, the most exciting thing to me is that God has given this pastor loyal and wonderful people who were here before me, who become a part of me and who bless me, but also who join in together with others to impact the world. And when I think about that, I want to salute the faithfulness of God. Because this week I had the privilege of having dinner with, with a, a family that, that had been faithful and serving the Lord for many, many years. And, and at that dinner time, began to reflect on the, the amazing hand of God on the One Heart Church, beginning on August 4th and carrying forward. And the truth of the matter is, when I think about that, I think about the time is now. God brought us together for his purpose. We are yielded to his plan. We surrender with passion to who he is. We open our hearts up to the priorities of God for our lives. We look at ourselves and say, you know what? We want to do what it is God's called us to do. That's why this year, when I think about it, this year we'll watch go across the water to other places, hundreds of people. We'll watch in this house, hundreds of opportunities to minister and impact. We'll watch what happens here and around the world. We'll watch people come to know Jesus. We'll watch people change because the power of god at work and it's because we came together and the time is now not only does he make it clear that that there was final words but you'll notice in verse 21 he said make every effort to come before winter i don't know if you're like me but there were a couple days this week with the weather this week where the weather was amazing you ever have that feeling when the weather changes and all of a sudden you go wow i feel young again you ever had that feeling I'll make sure you're still feeling, if you're still breathing, you have that every once in a while, right? And I'll never forget, I'll never forget one day this week I walked outside and I said, man, this is amazing. This is wonderful. And and as I stood there, I thought, wow, this is a season of change. Flowers will bloom. My mother this week sent a picture around all her tulips that she'd worked so diligently to put in a garden. And... I posted her picture on Facebook, and everybody said, oh, I hope your mom had a happy birthday. It wasn't birthday. It was just a picture of her beauty. And as I looked at it, I thought, you know what? What he's really saying here is there's an urgency. What Paul was saying, there's an urgency related to what it is he has for it, of the hour he's put before it. Because what we know is this. God has called us to be people of this book. And listen carefully. We're living in a day where people are walking away from this book. They're walking away from the principles of this book. They're walking away from the promises of this book. They are not seeing the Bible the way I see it. And I'll never forget years ago, years ago, my son was a little boy. He was teaching Sunday school with me one day. He had said, I'm going to prepare the whole lesson. I'm going to teach the whole class. Had 120 young adults in that classroom. And I said, okay, son, you're up. So I brought him in the room. I I I stood him on a chair so he could have his notes laid out on the podium. And he began to teach. And about five minutes later, he said, okay, that's it. Got down from the chair and went on out. And he, and he came back He said, I'm done. I said, Caleb, this is an hour of class, man. You got more time. Get back up there. He said, I'm done. I've said everything I need to say. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He looked at me and he said, Daddy, will there ever be a day, will there ever be a day when people won't want you to do what you do? And you know, when he, he was so prophetic because what he was really saying was, there will be a day coming as we see this end times unfolding. For people would rather their ears be tickled than their hearts inspired. And I said to him, Son, whether they follow me or not, I will live my last breath faithful to the one who called my name, who orders my steps, who's destined my days, who's directed my heart, who's given me the privilege to be able to lead so many to an understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. And you see, what you and I did just look at our own hearts today, look at our hearts and say, You know what? There's an urgency. There's an urgency. You see, your neighbor without hope, they've got those little children who need to be invited to Bible school so they can find hope. There's an urgency that we bring them into the Lord's house and we fill his house up with his people. We need to see that it's urgent. If we see it's urgent, we react to it the right way. And what happens here is he brings it to the very final thought, and I want you to see it as we finish our message today. Verse 22, the Lord be with your spirit and grace be with you. What he says here is this experience his presence experience his grace and something amazing will begin to happen inside of who you are when you experience his grace and you experience his presence your life changes forever and my question to you is simply this will you stand beside your friends will you stand beside your pastor is it that you are here today and you realize something that god's saying to you as a man or woman this is the place you need to call home this is the place you need to come home to if that's the case, I want to invite you in a moment when we welcome people into our family, I want to invite you to come and boldly, I'm not saying in, in an unashamed way, boldly, say, you know what, that's where I want to be. I want to be the kind of man or woman that you just talked about, a friend to their pastor, a friend to their church, a friend of Jesus. Perhaps God's speaking in your heart this very day. And whether you have any understanding, if you don't understand who Jesus is, we want to show you who he is. If you've been a part of a family and you need a new family, we want to be your family. Let's watch what God will do. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Speaks to who we are. Guides our lives. I think about men and women in this room who need to become a part of this family. They know. They hear your spirit speaking. to them. They yield to that. And Lord, if that's the case, I pray in a special way that you'd bless anyone who's here. A young man, a young lady, a student, whoever it is, Lord. Take these moments, Lord, and shape our future, because the time is now. It's spring. It's the birthing of a new season in our lives. We ask you, Lord, to make it amazing by touching lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.